liftoff and the clock has started. This is 20 minutes you'll never get back. That was Chris from the Bay Area here in California, and he is right. This is 20 Minutes You'll Never Get Back. My name is Doug Prezak. Thank you very much for tuning in to episode number 52 of this ongoing series of my mental uh, ramblings. Your patience and understanding is appreciated. (laughs) I don't know. But hey, before we get going, I do have something important to say. Now, I know that last week I said I was done trying to get all 50 states, you know, having downloaded at least one podcast episode. I was shy, what, about seven states. But you know what? I just couldn't let it go. So seven states, and frankly, Vermont is my best choice to add number 44. Now, I pointed out in the past that there were listeners to the right in New Hampshire. So hello, Bedford, and among other places. Uh, There's listeners to the south in Massachusetts. Greetings, Boston. There's listeners to the west in New York. Hello, Medusa. And there's even listeners to the north in Montreal, Canada. So strategically, I have Vermont surrounded. It's kind of like the game of risk. But all my pleading and all my whinings done absolutely nothing to to get uh, Vermont on board. So I'm trying to try a new tack here. I studied Vermont. That's right. I did research on Vermont. And to help my position here, I'm employing an age-old show business device. That's called kids. That's right. I'm going to do everything I can to try and do this, showing how much I've learned about Vermont and using kids to to tell the story. So we'll start with that. All right, Nolan, take it away. Vermont is the only state in New England that doesn't border the Atlantic Ocean. That's right. And Vermont, I'm kind of sad for you, you know. you got no ocean beaches, but you uh, certainly must have some beaches along Lake Champlain. <laughs> see, I studied. I didn't even know there was a Lake Champlain in Vermont. All right, let's see. Uh, Hudson, do you have anything to add? Vermont is the second least populated U.S. state and the sixth smallest by area of the 50 U.S. states. Well, that's very interesting. Thank you very much, Hudson. Okay, Nolan, I don't happen to know the population of Vermont. Uh, do you know what it is? Yeah, I do. 643,503. <laughs> Are you a math major or something? So you'd think with, uh, I'd get at least one of them listening, you know. Uh, let's see. Hudson, how long has Vermont been a state? Vermont was admitted to the newly established United States as the 14th state in 1791. Well, that is absolutely amazing. And, you know, most states have an official this or that. And I'm going to guess that uh, Vermont is kind of the same, right? Yeah. Yeah. The state tree is the sugar maple, and the state flower is the red clover. The official state food is apple pie, and the gemstone is grossular garnet. Okay, and Nolan, what's the uh, capital of Vermont? Montpelier. And lastly, Hudson, what is the largest city? Burlington. Well, thank you, guys. I do appreciate that. You're welcome. So there you go, Vermont. We've educated 42 other states and 55 other countries all about you. So how about it? Won't you uh, listen to at least one episode? Yeah, I know the flaw in my plan here. Vermont's not even listening, but I'm counting on someone to pass this along to someone you know in Vermont. After all, there is 643,503 possibilities out there. Okay, you can't blame me for trying. And if I can now uh, paraphrase John Oliver, our main story tonight is the Olympiad. As I'm sure you've heard, the 2020 Summer Olympic Games redo 
are about to get underway in Japan in just a few days. Now, athletes from all around the world are gathering to give it their all, battling for gold in front of throngs of people numbering in the zero. We'll have more on that later. But as you watch the games on TV, since that's the only way to watch the games, I'm sure that that TV network that rhymes with NBC will have all kinds of historical pieces about the Olympiad. But you know what I did? That's right. I did the research so you don't have to watch all those boring historical clips. You're going to get all you need to know right here in just about 15 and a half minutes. So here we go. The ancient Olympic Games were a religious and athletic festival held every four years at the Sanctuary of Zeus in Olympia, Greece. Competition was among representatives of several city-states and kingdoms in ancient Greece. While the ancient games featured running events, a pentathlon, which consisted of a jumping, discus, javelin, a foot race, and equestrian events, including chariot racing. Now, it's been widely written that during the games, all conflicts among the participating city-states were postponed until the games were finished. This pause in hostilities was known as the Olympic Peace or Truce. However, this idea is a modern myth. <laughs> you ever notice how I, always, I always have myths on the show that I bust? Uh, however, this idea is a modern myth because the Greeks never suspended their wars. The truce it did allow those religious pilgrims who were traveling to Olympia to pass through warring territories unmolested because they were protected by Zeus. Just how the Olympics came to be is wrapped up in mystery and legend. One of the most popular myths identifies Hercules, and that's right, I said Hercules. It got dumbed down to Hercules a lot later. So it's Hercules, trust me. Anyway, the legend has it that Hercules and his father Zeus have been identified as the creators of the games. According to the legend, it was Hercules who first called the games Olympic and established the custom of holding them every four years. The myth continues that Hercules built the Olympic Stadium as an honor to his father Zeus. Now, the most widely accepted first date for the ancient Olympics is 776 BC, and this is based on inscriptions found at Olympia. Those inscriptions listed the winners of a foot race held every four years starting in 776 B.C. The Olympic Games reached the height of their success in the 6th and 5th centuries B.C., but then gradually declined in importance as the Romans gained power and influence in Greece. While there's no scholarly consensus as to when the Games officially ended, the most commonly held date is 393 A.D., when Emperor Theodosius I decreed that all pagan cults and practices be eliminated. Another date commonly cited is 426 AD, when his successor, Theodosius II, ordered the destruction of all Greek temples. Oh, come on, what's with these guys? Really? Well, you might think that's the end of the Olympics right there, but come on, you and I both know it's not because they're still going on. All right, so just let me finish my story, okay? Well, it took a while, but we can jump ahead from 426 A.D. to 1894. That's the year the International Olympic Committee was founded when a French historian named Pierre de Coubertin wanted to promote international understanding through sporting competition. The 1896 Summer Olympics were officially known as the Games of the Olympiad. It was the first Olympic Games held in the modern era, and about 100,000 people attended for the opening of the Games. 
The games themselves attracted just 245 competitors from 14 countries, uh, and no international events of this magnitude had ever been organized. Female athletes were not allowed to compete. The one woman, Stamata Ravithi, ran the marathon course on her own, saying, quote, if the committee doesn't let me compete, I will go after them regardless. Good for you. Ancient Greece was the birthplace of the Olympic Games, so Athens was determined to be an appropriate choice to stage the inaugural modern games. Despite a lot of obstacles and setbacks, the 1896 Olympics were regarded as a great success. Now, the IOC intended for subsequent games to be rotated to various host cities around the world, and the second Olympics were held in Paris. Now, this Olympic competition was relegated to a sideshow of the World Exhibition, which is being held in Paris in the summer of 1900. The Games suffered from poor organization and marketing, with the events conducted over a period of five months in venues that often were inadequate. The track and field events were held on grass field that was uneven and often wet. Broken telephone poles were used to make hurdles. Ow! And hammer throwers occasionally found their efforts stuck in a tree. <laughs> uh, the swimming events were contested in the Seine River. Now, unfortunately, or perhaps fortunately, the strong current carried the athletes to unrealistically fast times. Nevertheless, the games were attended by nearly 1,000 athletes representing 24 countries, including 20 women who were allowed to officially compete for the first time in croquet, golf, sailing, and tennis. Now, like the 1900 Olympics in Paris, the 1904 Games took a secondary role. The Games were originally scheduled for Chicago, but the location was changed to St. Louis when the Olympic Organizing Committee officials decided to combine the Olympics with the Louisiana Purchase 100th Anniversary Exhibition. As a result, you can figure this one out, the Games suffered. When Athens served as host of its second International Olympic Games in 1906, more events were held and more countries participated than the first three modern games. With better athletes and more of them, the competition was fierce and entertaining, resulting in the most satisfying Olympics to date. But wait, you're saying to yourself, should that be the 1908 Games since you know, like every four years and all? Well... The 1906 Games are often referred to as the Intercalated Olympic Games. They introduced some important permanent Olympic customs, including the Parade of Nations, which is now the first major event at all opening ceremonies. Olympic scholars agreed that after the fiascos of 1900 and 1904, the well-organized and highly successful 1906 Athens Olympics probably saved the entire Olympic movement from an early demise. These games, however, are not included in the official IOC list. The rest of the IOC, over Coubertin's objection, had agreed that Athens would hold Olympics every two years in between the other Olympiads. Coubertin feared that more Olympics in Greece would bolster the popular proposal that Athens become the permanent Olympic site. He later vetoed the results of the 1906 Games and retroactively withdrew IOC status from them, even though he himself had listed them in the official IOC Games. In 1948, the IOC Executive Board, at Avery Brundage's urging, 
without discussion, rejected a scholarly petition from another IOC member who sought to reinstate the 1906 Games. In 2003, the IOC Executive Board once more rejected a carefully argued and well-documented petition from the International Society of Olympic Historians asking that the 1906 Games again be recognized as official. As in 1948, the matter was not even submitted to a vote. Jerks. So that, ladies and gentlemen, is how we got to the Olympics we know today. Now, obviously, there's been all kinds of stuff happened between 1906 and 2020. All kinds of political strife and countries boycotting and being banned and fists being raised in the air. I don't care about any of that. Okay? It's my show. I don't want to talk about that. But what I do want to talk about when we come back from the break, some facts about the Olympics you probably don't know. So don't go away. Northwest Planning a trip to Tokyo, Manila, Hong Kong, anywhere in the Orient, fly the shortest, fastest way, Northwest. And only Northwest gives you one airline service to the Orient, direct from Cleveland. Northwest Orient. You know, when I'm in Cleveland, I often think about uh, escaping off to Tokyo. <laughs> I'm sorry, Cleveland. Bad joke. I didn't. I didn't mean anything by it. I'm sure Cleveland's is a spectacular city. Never been there. I promise I'll go there sometime. Make it up to you. All right. Now I'm going to tell you some things about the Olympics you may or may not know. All right, because that's what the show's all about. So here we go. Now everybody should know the Olympic flag represents every country in the world. The rings are meant to represent the five continents: uh, the Americas, Asia, Africa, Europe, and Oceania. As for the colors, every single flag of every country in the entire world contains at least one of those colors, yellow, green, black, red, and blue. Also, let's see, in ancient Greece, athletes didn't need to worry about sponsorship, uh, protection, or fashion because they competed uh, naked. (laughs) It's late. Every Olympics, you see winners holding up their gold medal and biting on it. Yeah, that was concocted by the photographers. The idea goes back to uh, the gold rush days when prospectors would test the purity of gold by biting into it because gold nuggets, if it was soft, it was pure gold. Well, the irony is that today the Olympic medals are only made of roughly 1.3% gold. They're actually silver with a gold plating. The last time gold medals were made of pure gold was in 1912. The first modern Olympics in 1896 didn't even have gold medals. The top spot got a silver medal and an olive branch. (laughs) Oh, thank you. In reference to the original Greek games, second place got a bronze medal and third place got uh, nothing. During the 1936 Berlin Games, two Japanese pole vaulters tied for second place. Now, instead of competing again, they cut the silver and bronze medals in half and fused the two different halves together so that each of them had a half-silver, half-bronze medal. <laughs> okay, whatever works. During the 1904 Games in St. Louis, American marathon runner Fred Lors was disqualified when it was discovered that he had hitched a ride in a car for most of the race. He ran the last four miles. That sounds like something I would do. 
Athletes in the Olympic Village reportedly used 70,000 condoms at the 2000 Games and 100,000 at the 2008 Games. There were 450,000 provided in 2016. So, uh, yeah. American golfer Margaret Abbott placed first in the 1900 Games by accident. Abbott was visiting Paris for the World's Fair and thought that there was a regular golf tournament going on. So she decided to compete, and she won, and found out after returning to the U.S. that she had become the first American woman to ever win a gold medal. (laughs) Because of the Australian quarantine rules, equestrian events at the 1956 Games in Melbourne were actually held in Stockholm, Sweden. (laughs) That's convenient. The 1912 Games in Stockholm had an event for literature. The arts competition was founded by Pierre de Coubertin. Remember, that's the guy who founded the modern games. Uh, Coincidentally, he also won the gold medal in literature that year. (laughs) Someone should check the scoring on that. The Olympic torch is lit the old-fashioned way in an ancient ceremony at the Temple of Hera in Greece. Actresses wearing costumes of Greek priestesses use a parabolic mirror and sun rays to kindle the torch now from there the torch starts its relay to the host city it's usually carried by runners but it has traveled on a boat on an airplane horseback back of a camel in a canoe and underwater oh come on the relay torch and the olympic flame are supposed to burn during the entire olympic games in case the flame goes out it can only be reignited with the backup flame which was also lit in Greece so no one's whipping out their big lighter to get it going again McDonald's lost millions of dollars because the USA was too good in the 1984 games McDonald's was offering free soda fries and Big Macs to customers if the US won gold in certain events on McDonald's scratch cards at the previous games in 1976 the USA won 34 gold medals But since the communist bloc boycotted the 1980 games, the U.S. won 83 gold medals, which caused restaurants to run out of Big Macs and cost the company much more than had been expected. And here's the last Olympic fact for you. This year, baseball and softball are going to return to the games. The last time we saw those was in 2008. They've been off for 12 years, but this year they're coming back. Also, there are new events that are being added this year. They include surfing, skateboarding, sport climbing, and taekwondo. That pretty much sounds like a weekend in California. (laughs) But now it's time to get serious. It's time for In Memoriam, a tribute to Olympic Games that left us far too soon. Tug of war. Rope climbing. Hot air ballooning. A tandem bicycle. Swimming obstacle race. Sorry, this is serious. Plunge for for distance. Come on, Doug. Water motorboats. And solo synchronized swimming. (laughs) You do synchronized swimming if you're by yourself. Oh, God. And lastly, dueling pistols. (laughs) I guess that's a good thing they're gone. And with that, we close out this episode. But first, what did we learn? Well, we learned that the Greeks had it all together until the Romans ruined it. We learned that you don't mix Olympics with world expositions. 
And we learned that apparently the Olympic Village is a happening place, if you know what I mean. And yes, everybody knows what I mean. That will do it for episode 52. Thank you very much for tuning in. As always, I appreciate it. And I will talk to you next time on 20 Minutes You'll Never Get Back. Bye-bye. Hi, it's me again, Doug. I want to take up a couple more seconds of your time just to remind you, if you want to stay informed of when uh, the next podcast is posted, all you need to do is sign up at uh, on that Instagram machine. It's at uh, 20MYNGB, 20MYNGB, and that means 20 minutes you'll never get back. Uh, if you sign up there, you'll uh, always see when the next podcast is uploaded. And if you want to leave some comments, by all means, please do go to the uh, website at 20minutespodcast.com. So it's 20minutespodcast.com. And uh, you can uh, leave your comments there. It also tells you how you can be an announcer for the show. So take take a look at those two things if you'd like and stay informed. And I'll, as always, thank you very much for listening to uh, 20 Minutes You'll Never Get Back. Bye-bye.